Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy. And here Moses says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your fathers who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. This is the word of the Lord. Success is dangerous. It's dangerous to reach a goal that you've been striving for for a long time. It is dangerous to accomplish something great. Why? Because it's in those moments, success, the attainment of the goal, the accomplishment, that it's easiest to forget the things that matter the most. It's painful to bring it up again, but some of you were watching the Olympics, Winter Olympics 2006. You'll remember this episode, right? A young lady in the snowboard event, the, the cross race. You know, there are many people on the course at one time, and she's, she's got a 43-second lead over everybody else. And she's coming down the final stretch, right? And she's pumping her arms, and she's so excited. Because she's been training for her whole life to reach this goal. And she's about, I mean, 43 second lead. What's, what could happen, right? Well, you know what happened if you were watching. She gets a little air off the last mogul and she decides to showboat a little bit. And she does this move, you know, where you like flip back around, grab the board and land and coast to victory. That's how the move is supposed to go, right? But what happens instead of landing is wipe out get passed by the second place person and then you slide across for a silver medal. What's most important at that moment is finishing the race. What's most important is not showboating. It's not saying, hey, everybody, look how awesome I am. What's most important is getting across the finish line. It's dangerous to be on the brink of success, achieving a really significant goal. The book of Deuteronomy was given to people 
who were in that dangerous place. God has said, people, I've got a land for you over here. I'm going to plant you there in that land so that as you flourish, you can be a living embodiment of what it's like to be loved by the King of Heaven and to love Him in return. The whole world needs to see what that relationship is like so that they can be part of that relationship. So this is a big moment. For 40 years you've been wandering in the desert and now you're about to cross this river and go into that land. This is what I have been waiting for for you. But I've got to warn you, it's a dangerous time. So the book of Deuteronomy is a series of sermons. It's Moses kind of preaching to the people of Israel to get them ready for this dangerous moment of success and saying to them, Please do not forget these things. They are the things that matter most. So what did he say? What were the things that matter most? Well, we've got to answer a quick question. How do we know that the things that mattered most for them are the things that matter most for us? Because like the first verse that Carrie read says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? Well, like, we're not Israel. So what does this have to do with us? Right? This, this isn't, we're not in the Middle East. And not all of us have Jewish ancestry. So does this have anything to do with us? And the short answer is yes, of course, because God has one people. He is one father for one people. Um, we are the descendants of Israel by genetics, by DNA, by blood, maybe not. But if you read the book of Galatians, Paul will say very clearly there, a guy who grew up, an Israelite of the Israelites, that what made Israel Israel was not DNA. It was the grace of God and believing and trusting that grace from that God. That's what Abraham did. And Paul says, if you are a believer in Jesus then you share the same trust that Abraham did, and you are a descendant of Abraham. So, yeah, this has to do with you and me, even though they're words addressed to Israel. So what are the things that Israel was in danger of forgetting as they got ready to accomplish this great goal? What are the things that you and I need to fight every day to remember so that we don't lose grip on them, even as we succeed and prosper. Well, the first thing is, well, now it's going to sound a little funny, right? Because this is exactly what Jesus said was the first thing. Hey, Jesus, what's the most important commandment of all? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen to how this reads. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? What is the one thing that's most important? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to observe the Lord's commands and decrees. It's, all of this is language about having a relationship with the God who is real. Loving him with all that we are. What is it that's going to cause us to forget that, to compromise it, to water it down? Well, one thing that would do that is if we start to believe that, that what's really going on here is we're being called not to love God, just to be afraid of Him. 
So your heart's going to say sometimes, you know, loving God isn't the most important thing. What's most important is just being afraid of Him and making sure you do everything right so that you don't get on His bad side. And one of the reasons we think that is because the text actually says, the first thing it says, right? Fear the Lord your God. And down in verse 20, it says, fear the Lord your God and serve Him. And we sort of, our hearts start to think, oh, the, the right posture toward God is not one of wholehearted love, but of absolute terror. What I want to say is, no. <laughs> this is the kind of fear that requires being close enough to someone that you recognize what a good thing it is that you know their love and not just their power. A few months ago, the family went to Disney World. And um, maybe I've told you this story. I've told some of you this story before. Do you know the Shaq story yet? Shaq features in this story. Okay, Billy, I told you. This is my claim to fame moment, right? We're showing up at the place where Sarah Elizabeth's working, and, and one of her colleagues comes up and says, Hey, guess what? Shaq is taking vacation for a couple weeks, and he's staying in our hotel. You know, so keep your eyes open. Maybe you'll see him. In fact, if you go around this corner and sneak through that corridor, that's where he'll be. And, and you know, our daughter Caroline was like, No, no, no. You can't do it that way. It's got to be a real meeting. You can't, you know, you, you can't seek him. You, no. It's, it's just got to happen. So we agreed, yeah, if it happens, it happens. It ain't going to happen. So we rented later in the day one of those four-person bikes, you know, so four of us are pedaling and two of us are freeloading. And we're riding around, the, <laughs> riding around the lake and people everywhere and we're honking the horn and going like, people, move, because we can't stop this thing. And, and the Red Sea parts and pff, all the people and, and they're like 100 feet away is... Shaq and five bodyguards, all of whom were smaller than him. It's kind of a funny sight. <laughs> like, like I would be bodyguard size for Shaq, right? How's that going to work? And, and there's everybody, all the people are gone, and there he is. And we're driving this bike straight toward him. And he's not moving. And we're trying to apply the little brake, which is not really working. And we're just like, ah. And he just keeps walking toward us, and he gets up, and he grabs the bike, and he leans over and just grins, <laughs> and he starts pushing us backward. <laughs> and we're all just sitting there like, like the whole thing probably took two minutes, and none of us said a word. <laughs> there was no like, hello, Mr. O'Neill, nice to meet you. Or, you know, would you mind autographing my face? Um, could I use the camera that is hanging around my neck to take your photo? None of that. It was this moment really of, of fear. That this, that what, what the Bible means when it says fear the Lord is what we were sensing in that moment. It wasn't a we're really afraid this guy's going to harm us. But it was a very clear sense of if he wanted to, nothing could stop him. <laughs> and what a cool thing it was to be in the presence of someone that powerful who just wanted to play around with us. He didn't want to hurt us at all. He just wanted to have some fun. That was a cool moment with a large man. 
who's only a man, right? We know he's only a man because now he's hawking heat pads that stick on your back. <laughs> What's it like to, to love God that much, to be that close to him, to sense wow, the power that he has? And yet, I know him for far more than just his power. I know him for his mercy. What a thankful thing. So fear, fearing the Lord means standing in awe of him, an awe that leads to gladness. That what I know of him is far more than just his might. I also know his heart, his mercy. So if your heart whispers to you, loving God is not really the most important thing. Crossing the finish line isn't as important as showboating a little bit. Don't love him, fear him. Getting it all wrong. Love the Lord. So our heart's going to say to us sometimes that loving Him is less important than fearing Him. Sometimes our hearts are going to say, though, yeah, loving Him's important, but you know what? Just love Him a little bit and that'll be enough. Just love Him with all your heart? No, 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 no. No, walk in some of His ways. Serve the Lord with some of your heart. Remember to keep part of your heart back for doing what you want. Hide part of yourself from him. Hold it back so that you can make sure that every once in a while you can just please yourself without having to bring him into the mix. Sometimes our hearts are going to tell us that. The more successful we are, the more our hearts are going to whisper that. Make sure that you handle your success the way you want. In fact, here's what your heart's going to tell you sometimes. It is always good to have a backup God. So you choose a primary God, and then you have a secondary God. And it's okay if God is your secondary God. You have some other primary God. Let it be money. Let it be comfort. Let it be entertainment. Let it be just leave me alone for crying out loud. Let whatever the primary God is, you have that, and you serve it with most of your heart. And then you have your secondary God, and you serve him with some of your heart. Because there's this fear. If I serve God with all my heart, maybe all my success goes poof. Maybe what I really want goes poof. So just serve Him as your secondary God. There's one problem with that. Down in verse 20, we're told to fear the Lord your God, serve Him, hold fast to Him. That's the same word used in the book of Genesis to describe how a husband ought to hold fast to his wife. Now, what wife wants to be the secondary wife? Right? Marriage is not going to go well if you have a primary wife and a secondary wife. Let me just go ahead and tell you that. Right? Secondary husbands don't work out any better. It's the language used in the book of Job, chapter 19, to describe the way that bones hold fast to the skin and flesh around them. Bones don't wake up in the morning and go, hmm, let me find a secondary body today. No, this, this language means a, a, a connection that should never be broken because if you break it, it will be painful and bloody. You break the connection between bones and skin. If you break the connection between husband and wife, if you break the connection between you and your God, it will hurt 
The commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, Moses says, are for your good. Love the Lord with all your heart. Sell out to him. It will be for your good. He won't hold back anything. That is really good for you to have. What does it mean to fight so that we don't lose a focus on this kind of love for God? Let me just throw out one idea. Learn to tell true stories about false gods. Tell true stories about false gods. So when your heart is saying, wouldn't it be better to have that God as your primary God and make this God, the Father of Jesus, your secondary God, tell a true story about that God and suddenly that God won't seem so appealing. Maybe some of you uh, have heard the interview done with Tom Brady after uh, his most recent Super Bowl win. And, uh, you know, here's the guy who's married to the supermodel. He's highly paid athlete, one of the most famous guys in the world, multiple Super Bowl championships, may go down as one of the you know, top two quarterbacks in the history of the planet. Um, you're doing this interview, and, and, and it kind of halfway in, he says, God, there's got to be more than just this. Dude, you've got it all. You've got it all. You've got everything everybody dreams about. You are serving what everybody else thinks is this really attractive false God. And you're feeling that it ain't all it's cracked up to be. God, there's got to be more than this. The interviewer says, do you know what it is? What is it? And his reply is, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. So don't write the false story about the false God. The guy who has everything and is full of joy. Write the true story. The guy who has everything and is full of wondering why there isn't more to life. Telling true stories about false gods can help us remember to love the true God. What else does God not want us to forget? Well, again, you know what Jesus said. Two most important things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So we're not shocked to find Moses saying, What does the Lord ask of you? What are you most likely to forget? You've got to fight to hang on to this. Number one, love the Lord with all you are. And number two, love needy people. Right? God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. You hear the theme, right? Love your neighbor. Love people who are in need. Whatever happens, don't forget this. Don't let success and prosperity make your heart numb to the need to love other people, especially those who are without protection, without anyone to provide for them, without any safety network to fall back on when they need help. Those, God is saying, hey, Israel, you are the world's safety net. You are to be the last 
hope for the hopeless. Love people. It's so hard. One of the reasons it's hard is because our hearts are going to communicate that in a different way. The Lord says, love. Do something to help people who need help. And our hearts say, oh, just be nice. Just be nice. Just don't hurt people who are already hurting. That's enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to do no harm. We actually got to get involved and try to heal. That is hard. What does it look like to fight to be that kind of person, that kind of people, that kind of community? Here's what it looked like for me uh, over the past couple weeks. Uh, There was a, a homeless person in the area who came by the church one day and um, we had a long conversation. She's a believer in Jesus. She has really strong faith in Christ. Uh, I'm going to call her Mary. That's not her name. Uh, Mary and I had good long conversation with some other people here, part of our church, and and um, you know offered some ways to help uh, that that would meet some of her most immediate needs. She did not want to receive that help. And so we did what we could uh, to help uh, with some other things. And um, then she left. And, and I just had this sense of, Lord, that wasn't enough, was it? But I don't know what else to do. How can I help? So I started praying, Lord somehow cause my path to cross with this person again because I think I'm supposed to love her more than I did. I think my heart toward her was far too hard when we offered help and she refused it. So would you bring us back together again somehow? So a few days later, I'm going to a library to study and there she is, sleeping on a bench in the lobby of the library. I understood immediately, well, she's sleeping here because she got no sleep last night because it was a chilly night. What do I do? I don't want to wake her up if she hasn't been able to sleep lately. Is that loving? You know? Hi, it's me, Pastor Jimmy. Let me torment you while you're trying to get some rest just so I can feel good about myself and make my conscience feel better. That wasn't the right thing to do, but should I just ignore this obvious way God is answering those prayers. I didn't know what to do. I had no clue. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be this kind of person. So I went in, worked, and you know, now I'm feeling all kind of guilt. I'm like, there, 20 yards away is this woman who needs to be loved. I may be the only person in the building who knows her. And here I sit working to prepare a sermon, and I'm doing nothing. Holy Spirit, show me, help me. Would you, Holy Spirit, Right now, in this moment, make it clear what I am supposed to do. So I kept working on the sermon. And then the librarian says, we're about to close down. you got to leave. And suddenly it's like, oh, they're going to wake her up to make her leave. So now it would not be unloving for me to go and speak with her. That's the Holy Spirit answering my request for help. Help me know what to do and when to do it. Right now, here's what to do. Go speak with this woman. So we were able to talk again, and um, I was able to pass along to her some, some gifts that would help 
uh, with some of, again, her most immediate needs and to hear that, that she had worked with another church that had helped her to find a, a longer-term housing solution in Auburn. And I'm like, oh, man, that's all the way in Alabama. Do we need to help you with bus fare? There's an Auburn, Georgia. I didn't know that. Is that legal to have an Auburn in Georgia? That close to Athens? I, I didn't know. So, so what does it look like to be the person who fights every day to love people who really need help? I think it looks a lot like that. It looks a lot like, it looks a lot like having no idea what to do. It looks a lot like saying, Lord, I'm, I'm clueless. I don't feel like I can do enough. I have no idea how to help. That's what it looks like. And it looks like saying, Lord, melt my cold, hard heart. Melt my pride. Lord, give me an opportunity to cross paths with somebody who needs to be loved. Holy Spirit, in this moment, teach me the best way to love this person. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. It doesn't look like changing the world in an instant. It looks like always waiting for God to bring somebody across your path who right now needs help and then doing what you can through His strength to meet that need. Let's not ever forget that. Don't ever forget to love God with all your heart. Don't ever forget to love people who are needy. And can I say one last thing because it's the most important? Don't ever forget where the strength for loving God and loving people comes from. Did you hear how God said that? The commandments I'm giving you are for your good. I love you. Love me because I love you. I love the fatherless and the widow. I love the alien. You are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt, and I loved you. Everything in heaven belongs to me, and yet I loved your forefathers. I loved you. I don't love you because I'm impressed with you. I don't love you because I have a weakness and you can be on my team and do the thing, I'm, the thing I'm weak at. I don't love you because you have gone through some outward ritual and that pleases me. Circumcise your hearts, God says. I love you because I have decided to love you. I have made an unshakable commitment to you. And that is where you will find the strength to keep on loving me. When the world says, make me secondary. That is where you will find the strength to keep on loving the person who's in need when you have no clue how to do it. Because you will remember that I am a God who could have chosen the highest order of angels to be mine forever. I could have set my love on the stars and said, I will exist in silence forever with the brilliance and blazing glory of the universe magnifying how awesome I am. I don't need people to praise me when the stars will do it. God could have done that, and yet He said, I'm going to love some weak, 
needy people who are good at one thing, which is forgetting me. And I'm going to set my love on you unshakably. And I'm going to turn it into action. And when Pharaoh has you under his heel, I'm going to step in and I'm going to set you free. And when death has you under its heel, I'm going to step in again. And I'm going to put my love not only into action, but into human form. I'm going to come live on your planet. And I'm going to come be needy on your planet. And I'm going to come be weak on your planet. I'm going to come die. Because I love you. Jesus never died for an angel. He didn't die because he loved the stars. He died because he loved you. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget it. Fight to remember that. I've chosen the word remember very intentionally today. Two reasons. One, it runs throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Not in our passage we read today. But throughout the book. Don't forget, remember. Remember, remember, remember. It's the same language Jesus uses when he calls us to the Lord's Supper, right? Do this in remembrance of me. So you may not have thought that you were coming to church to fight. Nothing exciting ever happens in worship. And fighting sounds pretty, you know, adrenaline pumping. I'm telling you, Jesus is saying right now, fight. Fight to remember me. If you think my love is not a big deal, right now is the time to fight to remember how big a deal his love is. If you think his love is secondary and something else is primary, he is saying right now is the time to fight, to remember what is most important in all the universe. Right now. Now, Jesus wins his biggest victories by dying. So we're not going to be shocked if the way he wants us to fight right now seems rather ordinary. We're not talking about jihad. We're not talking about making promotional videos and putting them online and recruiting an army. We're talking about doing something very plain and simple. Jesus hearing one more time the words that Jesus spoke on the night that he was betrayed. He took bread. You can fight by looking at bread. Yeah. And he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup after the supper, after the meal. And he said, this cup is a a covenant. It's a relationship that is so solemnly sealed that if you break it, it will cause infinite pain. That's what a covenant is. I am going to seal that kind of relationship with you through my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of many. Take and drink from it, all of you, and do this in remembrance of me. We're going to eat, we're going to drink, we're going to chew, we're going to swallow. We're going to be fighting to remember. Remember 
that the Lord's love is not secondary to anything. That your failure and mine to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, to love our neighbor in need because we were once needy and the Lord loved, our failure in those things, Jesus got right. And he is standing and saying to us today, I'll wipe it all away. And in its place, I will put love this great. So great. To me belong the heavens and the highest heavens. But I will stoop to die at the hands of mere men. For the sake of loving you. This is not a love we play games with, right? So we are not here to pretend that something magical is about to happen. We're not here to pretend that if you eat a little bread and drink a little wine, Jesus loves you. We're not here to pretend that uh, we love Jesus when in fact we don't. We are not here to pretend that we're ready to obey Jesus when we have no intention of doing so. This is the Lord's Supper. If you need the Lord and you know it, and you have confessed to him and before other people, I need you, then eat and drink. If you're still working that question out, then this is a good time to talk with him while you watch others eat and drink. This is not a way of being mean. This is a way of being real. Our need for forgiveness is not a myth. It's not pretend. So... Fighting to remember the love that forgives us and gives us strength to love in return. That shouldn't involve any pretending either.